Um, so I have the, the, uh, the privilege of introducing our special guest today. This is Paul Taylor, and some of you, many of you know Paul. Paul is teaching pastor and elder at Peninsula Bible Church, and he and his wife actually were here in April of this year uh, teaching as well, and Paul is teaching again. We are, as churches, we're doing the Explore God series together, and so we just thought it would be neat to be able to uh, mix and match a bit, and so Paul has been gracious to share with us his thoughts in that series. Um, I'm also just wanting to say we're so grateful to Peninsula Bible Church. They've been a great partner in so many ways. Um, if you guys remember, if remember during COVID, we were in meeting in somebody's parking lot. That was Paul and his church's parking lot for a long time. And, um, and so we're so grateful for that. And also just, um, we've really partnered with PBC in many ways in terms of sermon series and ministry. And Paul has been a great leader in terms of bringing pastors of Palo Alto together and uh, connecting us better. And so I'm so grateful for Paul. And I'd love to just quickly pray for you and your church before you preach here. And so... Thank you. Just join me as we pray for Paul and Peninsula Bible Church. Thank you so much for the ministry that you've given to Paul and to Peninsula Bible Church for the many years of faithful service to you that that, that church represents. Father, we pray your blessing upon that ministry, blessing upon them as a church, that you would continue to strengthen them, give them unity, give them joy in the, the ministry. I thank you for Paul and just pray that you would give him joy as well in the ministry and what he's doing. And we just... Uh, Give us ears to hear what he is sharing with us today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, it is great to be with all of you this morning. Uh, What a privilege to be here. I think I shared this in April when I was here, but I was struck again when I walked in this room. My first year of spiritual growth in the Bay Area happened here in this room. Uh, The Peninsula Bible Church College Group used to meet in this room in the 90s. And so I spent a lot of time listening to the Bible being taught right here, and it brought that back. So what a great place. And um, I love Vineyard. I've known Susan and Alex for a long time, uh, way back in the Stanford days, and just really have a ton of respect for what y'all are doing. Uh, My only complaint would be I wish I could have gone before Daniela, um, because I feel like it's kind of going to be a letdown after that. But nonetheless, we'll press forward. And thank you for sharing that. That was, that was, that was beautiful. Um, well, I want to begin with the idea that everyone on this planet has a sacred text. No matter where you come from, no matter what culture you're from, no matter where you live, you have a set of words that guide your life. We as people seem to be obsessed with this notion that words somehow shape us. So one of the things we do is we take words and we put them into mottos. We say things like, be all you can be, or just do it. We say things like, uh, what are some more mottos? Think outside the box. Less is more. No pain, no gain. And these Words somehow encapsulate more than what they mean on the surface so that they're able to shape us in powerful ways. We also take words and we form stories out of them, stories that end up shaping our decisions, our lives, our view of ourselves. We tell stories like about a young mermaid who desperately wanted to be a human and found love in the process. 
We tell stories about a young boy who somehow got left behind when his family went on Christmas vacation and single-handedly fought off a series of robbers until his parents could return. We tell stories about a young Jedi who had a strange but powerful gift and felt called to save the universe through that gift. And these stories somehow seep into us. They, they change us. They, they come back at funny times and they guide the decisions we make. Some of us have words that have been spoken to us that we remember for a long time. Maybe they were words by parents or teachers or coaches or loved ones. And often it's the hurtful ones, the negative words that, that, that stick with us. We can play those tapes in our heads. And again, those words shape us. Sometimes for decades after the person who spoke them is out of our lives. For some reason, we as humans seem obsessed with words. Everyone on the planet has a sacred text. So if we're going to talk about the Bible, if we're going to talk about how we allow words to form us, the question is not, should we allow a certain set of words to shape us? The question is, which set of words should we choose and give it the right to shape who we are? Uh, as Ron shared, this is part of this Explore God series. It's been super fun. We've been doing it over at PBC. I think the number is between 150 and 200 churches all around the Bay Area that are doing this series. Um, it's been really great to engage with that. And uh, this is the sermon where we ask the question, is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible the right set of words that we ought to choose and give authority over our lives? Or is it flawed? Is it a bad set of words? Is it a, a set of words full of error and mistakes that we should be wary of and careful? Is the Bible reliable? Now, this is a really important question for us to be asking because there are lots of reasons that make the Bible seem like maybe it's not reliable. And there are a lot of people in our culture that would say it's not, that this set of words is not just unhelpful, but maybe it's actually unhealthy. Maybe it's actually a bad set of words. Maybe the Bible is actually dangerous to us, not beneficial. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to come to terms with whether these are the right words to guide us. Now, the book of the Bible is remarkable. I would um, commend to you this sheet that is on your uh, tables. And I was looking at it and learned a few things from it. Um, but I will not be hurt if you color this sheet while you listen to me. Um, this, that would be a great thing to do. This is an incredible book. 66 books in the Bible. Um, written over about 40 different people. I actually had a lot of these stats in my notes, so this is great. Written over about 2,000 years um, on, the, on, on three continents in three different languages. Uh, it's been translated to over 700 languages in its entirety. 
And portions of the Bible have been translated to over 3,500 distinct languages. So this book is unique. It's remarkable. But that alone isn't enough to say that you and I should grant it the authority of words to shape our lives. What gives it the right? What makes the Bible really special? To answer that question this morning, we're going to do three things. First, we're going to talk about how the Bible describes itself as the word of God and really what that means. Then we're going to talk about how God himself reveals who he is through these words. And finally, we'll talk about some of the challenges that make the Bible really difficult to understand and, frankly, difficult to believe. So to get started... um, Christians often use this phrase, the word of God, to refer to the Bible. And the reason that Christians do that is because the Bible itself often refers to itself using that language. So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the collection of books that was written to the uh, Hebrew people before the birth of Christ. It was written primarily in Hebrew. In that portion of the Bible... The most common phrase to refer to the language of God is the word of the Lord. And so you get phrases like in Genesis 15:1, where we read, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. You get verses like Psalm 33, 6, where the psalmist declares, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And that phrase, word of the Lord, devar Adonai in Hebrew, it's this a pregnant phrase full of meaning, full of expression, the word of the Lord. When you get to the New Testament, though, uh, the New Testament alters it slightly. The New Testament would be the second half of, of the Bible. It's the books that were written mostly, if not entirely, in the first century after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It was written primarily in Greek. And in that set of books, you more often find the phrase word of God. So you get phrases like Luke eleven twenty eight, where Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In Acts, which is a book that describes the birth of the early church, you get a phrase where it says, um, describing the apostle Paul, he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So this word of God is this kind of, again, a a concept that's bigger than the actual language will almost allow. So if the Bible describes itself as the word of God, let's think for a minute about what words are. A word is a vehicle by which I take something that is inside me I I encapsulate it into this thing we call a word and I lob it over to you and I hope that you unpack that thing and you get something of what used to be in me now in you. I can see that's not really happening right now. Um, But in general, that's what we hope for. Words are a vehicle by which we transfer something of ourselves to another person in hopes that they would know us. So uh, let's do a little exercise to, to show you what I mean. I need, I need two volunteers to come up here. All right, Jeff, I met Jeff earlier, um, and this lovely young woman. What is your name? 
What's that? Gabby. Gabby. Welcome, Gabby. There used to be a mic. Can I use that mic, Ron? Okay, come on up. Gabby and Jeff. So, Gabby, uh, here's the exercise, okay? This is complicated. Gabby, you're going to speak a single word to Jeff. And your job is to think back over your last week and to summarize your week in a single word. So you're going to tell Jeff what your week was like using a single word. You think you can do that? Okay. You think Abby can do that? All right. They're on board with this. You ready? Tiring. Tiring. All right. Let's give Gabby a hand. Yeah, good job. Good job. Okay. Now the question is, Jeff, the question I have for you is, do you feel like you have a picture in your head of Gabby's week? Yes, a limited picture. Okay. picture. Elaborate on that. What do you feel like you understand? Well, there were a lot of tasks that she had to do. Okay. Some of it was probably homework at school. Okay. Some of it was probably things around the house, like maybe washing or drying the dishes or putting them in the dishwasher or taking them out of the dishwasher. All right. Um, She probably felt like she wanted a nap at a certain point in the week. Okay. But it didn't happen. All right. Okay. And then this morning, she had to get up maybe earlier than she wanted to. Right. Because, you know, she had to come here to church. Had to come to church, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, that was a great you. Man, you got a lot, (laughs) right? Out of a single word. That was impressive. I majored in linguistics. All right, we have a linguist here. That's that's a little cheating, but we'll we'll, we'll let it slide. Okay, one more question. This one's for Gabby. Gabby, how did you feel about this assignment to summarize your week in a word? Was it it easy? Was it hard? What, What was it like? Confusing. Confusing. Do you want to explain a little more? Why was it confusing? Um, because it was a couple different things. A couple different things. So you had trouble narrowing it down. Okay, great. Thank you. Let's give them a hand. We have just witnessed something beautiful. We watched as Gabby took an entire week's worth of experiences, boiled it down into a single word, delivered that word to Jeff, and Jeff unpacked it so that he had some kind of a sense of what Gabby's week was like. Now, I want you to notice what Jeff did because he took what he knew of Gabby and he took that word and it's like, it, it's like one of those, what are, what are those things that you like little pellets and you put them in water and they blow up into an animal? That's like what he did to that word. He told us about her entire week from a single word because he knew something of her and he, w- he was able to do that. Now, if Gabby said that she had a hard time. It was confusing to, to try to narrow down everything into a word. And so we, we don't actually know all of what Gabby's week was like. In fact, think about your own last week. How many words would it take to fully 
communicate. Every detail of your last week's experience to another human being so that there could be no possible miscommunication. More than one, I hear. Okay. I would say that number would be close to an infinite, right? I mean, every emotion, every interaction, every feeling, every experience, every physical sensation you had. Think of how many words to fully communicate yourself, even just one week of your life, to another human. And yet, something true was communicated when Gabby picked a word to speak to Jeff. Not everything that is true, but something that was deeply true was communicated. This is part of what's happening when the Bible uses words to communicate something powerful to us. But it gets even more incredible because the Bible isn't just a set of words And this phrase, the word of God, isn't just used of words on a page because we get to the book of John, which is the first book of the, or the fourth book of the New Testament. And we read this in the first few words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we have this idea that the word itself is God. And we read on to John 1.14 and read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so the Bible then uses this phrase, word of God, to refer to itself, the pages of a book, but it also uses the phrase, word of God, to refer to Jesus, a human who was born in the first century, who lived on this earth and who died and whom Christians believe was resurrected from the dead. So the word of God is the Bible, but it's also Jesus. And so we need to understand then that in the same way that God chose words to reveal something true about himself to us, he also chose a human being where he would come down himself to reveal something about himself Two people on earth. And so the word of God, the Bible, and the word of God, the man, are somehow inextricably linked. So that whenever we're reading one or thinking about the other, we are always thinking about them both. So we cannot read the Bible without thinking of Jesus. And we cannot interact with Jesus apart from the words of the Bible. Those two go together. So when we read the Bible, when we read the words on a page, we have to be looking for the man of Jesus. We look for Jesus in the Bible. Look for Jesus in the Bible. That's really helpful because a lot of people think this book is like an encyclopedia. You know, I want to know what to do with this part of my life. So so I flip to the part about that and and I find out what to do. Or I have this question about this thing, so I just open it up and and I answer this question. It's like a knowledge book. It's a book of facts. But it's so much more than that. It's a revelation of a person who wants to reveal himself to us and has chosen words as the way to do that. And so the words on a page lead to the man, 
the man is from the words on a page, and both those together somehow reveal God to us. So if we're going to answer the question, is the Bible reliable? The question we're actually answering is, does the Bible reliably reveal God to us? Is the Bible a true revelation of the person of God to us? And what I want to suggest is that actually one of the ways to understand how the Bible really truly reveals God to us is by thinking about when you read these words on a page, can you tell that there is someone else on the other end? That there is someone else speaking to us. Now, there are a lot of facts about the Bible, about how it was composed, about how it transmitted through history, about the languages that were used and the number of copies we have, and a lot of stuff like that that, that, that bear witness to its reliability as a historical document. But for me personally, I find the most powerful thing that bears witness to the reliability of the Bible to be its vast beauty. The Bible is beautiful. Unbelievably so. It's beautiful in its connection that it starts with a couple in a garden with a tree in the middle of the garden and then through decades, centuries, millennia of time, it ends with the story of the same tree in the middle of a city giving healing to the nations who would eat from it. It's beautiful in the sense that when I read these words and I read about two brothers and the feelings they have for each other from 3,000 years ago, I go, I have a brother. I felt exactly that way about him. I know that that's true. It's beautiful in the way that it speaks to us and, and draws something forth from us. The poetry of it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the characters in it, a young king who is able to defeat a giant but fails to battle the lust of his own heart. The connections across thousands of years, the prophet Moses who leads his people out of slavery into a new life of freedom as a form of foreshadowing of a man 1,500 years later who would lead all of God's creation out of slavery to sin into a new life of freedom. The sweeping power of the message from Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the promise of hope for the world, there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. How can you not read these words and know that there is someone on the other side, someone of great power, someone of great beauty, someone of great love, who wants to communicate himself to us through these unbelievable words? And yet, some of you are saying, yeah, there are amazing words in the Bible, but there are also the really weird ones. 
that make it really hard to believe. If, if the whole Bible were, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I'd be on board. But what about that other stuff? What about the stuff that's really confusing? What about the stuff that makes no sense? That when you read it, sometimes you think, how could this possibly be God? What about the hard parts of the Bible? Now, what I love about the Bible is how truthful it is, even about the hard parts. Listen to this verse from 2 Peter. He says, there are some things in them, he's speaking of the writings of the Bible, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. So here's what I love about the Bible. It admits that it's hard to understand parts of it. If I were going to write a book and I wanted it to be, you know, a, a global bestseller and answer everybody's questions, I would make all of it make sense. That would be my intention. I would wrap it up in a bow so that when you read it, there'd be like seven easy steps to salvation in God and restoring the earth and all these things. And, and you would read it and go, okay, everything's a complete picture. The Bible is not that. There are unanswered questions. There are scientific questions about, did the sun really go backwards one day? There are historical questions about archaeology and, and facts that do or don't line up. There are cultural questions about how it makes sense to excommunicate somebody because of a skin disease. And these questions, I believe, make the Bible more believable, not less believable. Because if the Bible is what I've suggested it is, if it is a huge, powerful, universal, all-powerful God, if it's him revealing himself to us in a limited set of words, shouldn't we expect that we don't get it all? Doesn't it make sense that we would read some of those words and say, I don't see it. But if humans made up the words, we would do a lot better job of making it understandable to everybody. So the fact that there are questions that remain mean maybe this is an infinite God revealing himself to me and the problem is with me. And maybe even those are good things because now I have questions to ask and things to explore that drive me forward to find out more and more about God. One quick example of how communication can be difficult. I heard this story um, a few years ago about somebody who was on Twitter, a guy who was trying to fix his car, and he said, I need some 710 for my car. So he goes to the thing, and he says, show me where the 710 is. And over and over again, the, the people at the car shop were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Cars don't use 710. And finally, he shows them a picture of what he's looking for. I need the 710. Now, Sometimes the problem with things being confusing is that we're looking at it upside down. So here's my suggestion to you. Don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Read it. Read the words of the text. Read this book that God has given to us. And I believe we will find God in it when we read it. And when you do so, one last thought. I think the thing that makes the Bible sometimes hard to believe 
is that the overall message, the overarching thing that God is trying to communicate to us through these words is something that we desperately long for, but we find hard to accept. And that is the simple truth that you are loved. Not because of what you accomplish, not because of your educational achievements, not because of the job you have or the things you've done or what you look like, but simply because God created you. And I'm convinced that sometimes our reasons for not believing the Bible have to do with the fact that we just can't believe that we are lovable. And it's easier to point to all these other things than to land on that. So don't just believe that the Bible is reliable. My heart for you, my prayer for you is that you would believe the message of the Bible, the thing that God is trying to communicate to you, and that is that God loves you. That's what he has for you in these words. And it is my deep prayer that you would find the mystery and the questions and the confusingness and and all that is the Bible, but that in the midst of that, you would hear clearly God's voice speaking to you. I love you, my child. I sent my son Jesus to die for you so that we could be reconciled and live together forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for this book you've given us, for this powerful set of words, for the fact that you do love us, even though we are often less than lovable. God, I pray for me. I pray for these people gathered here this morning, for the ones online. I pray that you would be speaking your words of love to us and that we would have the courage to receive them and be changed by them. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.